0: Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, it seems like today's program, we're going to be focusing on a systematic world thought process that is anti-God, anti-Israel, anti-Christ.
1: That's right, Jimmy. We're going to get in touch with our broadcast partners today, and uh, there's so many significant events and so many things happening around the world that we need to monitor. Let's get in touch with Ken Timmerman right now. Ken Timmerman joins us today. He's our expert in geopolitical affairs, and he comments on kind of the hotspots around the world, and there are plenty of them today. Ken, thank you for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Rick. It's always a pleasure.
1: Well, Ken, first thing I'd like to ask you about, and it was in the news this week, is the raid in Syria on the leader of ISIS. Can you tell us about that, how it went down, and why it was important?
2: Well, this was very similar to the raid that took place uh, uh, two years ago that uh, took out al-Baghdadi. And as U.S. Special Forces got close to his uh, house in northern Syria, he blew himself up, uh, blew up his wives and some of his children. So his successor, a guy named Abu Ibrahim al hashimi al-Qurashi, did exactly the same thing. He realized that U.S. Special Forces were on the way. They had surrounded his house In northern Syria, and he blew himself up along with wives and children. And of course, now the United States is going to get blamed for killing civilians. Well, you know, the the Pentagon is looking into that to see if there was anything that they did that might have led to their killing of civilians. But it looks pretty clearly that uh, this guy, uh, Al Qureshi, blew himself up, his wife and uh, many of their children in a big, opulent, three-story house, in northern Syria. The guy was not living in a hovel.
1: Very interesting. Well, we move from there and to the situation that we've been monitoring for, oh, quite a while now, the situation between Russia and Ukraine, the Ukrainian crisis. And it seems like this whole situation is very divisive in the European Union. They're not necessarily acting as a unified force against this potential Russian aggression.
2: Uh, That is very important, Rick. And it's something that uh, does not get reported on here in the United States. If you are watching any of the corporate media broadcasts about Ukraine, uh, all you hear is Russia, 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 and how Russia is bad and how the United States is leading the charge. Well, uh, that's part of the story, but it is definitely not the whole story. The rest of the story is that you have this really remarkable divide inside NATO inside Europe, between Old Europe and New Europe. You have the Germans, along with the French and the Italians, to a certain extent, who are uh, very active in trying to ward off confrontation with Russia over Ukraine. They are The Germans have gone so far as to ban flights from Great Britain, bringing weapons to Ukraine. They forced the Brits to uh, skirt German airspace Uh, Much longer route to get to Ukraine to deliver weapons from the NATO alliance. They have banned any weapons sales or deliveries from Germany uh, and from any other country, uh, the Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, for example, who this week have been transshipping U.S. weapons which we have delivered to them for their defense. These are the Baltic states, right, that, the, that everybody believes are next on Russia's radar, on Putin's radar. Uh, he wants to get Ukraine, Kaliningrad uh, on that coast of the Baltic Sea on his side, and then jump across the Baltic and take those three Baltic republics that Russia has long believed actually belong to them. So the the Germans are blocking all kinds of uh, deliveries, arms deliveries, uh, even from uh, U.S., other U.S. allies, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. So they have to go in a much longer route to get to Ukraine. They um, also, France and Germany in particular, seem to be negotiating a separate deal with Ukraine and Russia. Uh, this is not very helpful. We do not have a united front. And that's something, again, uh, most American viewers of corporate media do not see. uh, So they can't understand it because they just don't see it. It is not being reported here. We, We do not have a united front in dealing with Ukraine and Russia.
1: Well, and that begs the question to me anyways, I mean, outside of Russia's nationalist aspirations, it seems like NATO is at the heart of this whole situation and it doesn't seem to be handling it well, like you say. So there's been some calls to maybe disband NATO, or do we still need NATO? What do you think about that?
2: Well, that would be a, uh, the satisfaction of a decades long Russian and formerly Soviet uh, goal. Uh, you know, the Russians hate NATO, the Soviets. Hated NATO. <laughs> NATO was what kept uh, the peace in Europe for quite some time, and it prevented Soviet expansionism. Uh, and it has not prevented Russian uh, expansionism. Uh, remember, after NATO uh, announced quite dramatically in 2008 under George W. Bush that uh, we would consider that NATO would consider bringing Georgia and Ukraine into the alliance, what happened? Well, the Russians invaded Georgia. And they are still there today. I was I was a stone's throw away from those territories in the Republic of Georgia a year ago. Uh, Therefore, for, for uh, in, as part of my uh, law practice on behalf of 9/11 victims, and uh, they are still there since 2008. Uh, you know, so many so many years later, and the Russians are still in Crimea. They seized Crimea in 2015, and they took uh, you know that port in, in Sevastopol as well uh, along the Black Sea. So. The more that NATO leaders, especially the United States, issue empty threats against Russia, mm-hmm. the more emboldened Putin will become to do whatever he pleases because he knows NATO will not respond.
1: Ken, okay, this crisis, and one of the things you have talked about in the past as it continues to grow and develop, is that it may set off a chain of events. And of course, we've talked about China and Taiwan, but I'm asking you specifically about the situation in the Middle East. And of course, that's always um, kind of a, a powder keg situation there. Do you believe the danger from the Ukrainian crisis could expand into the Middle East?
2: Well, the real danger is that the West and NATO is divided. When I say NATO will re- not respond, what I'm trying to suggest is that we do not have a united policy in response to Russia's aggressions in Ukraine. In the same way, we do not have a united policy towards Russia's position in Syria. Uh, We do not have a united policy uh, towards Russia's aid and China's aid to the Iranian nuclear weapons program. There has never been recently, in recent years at least, there has never been a united Western pushback against Russian firms or Chinese firms that are helping the Iranians to build Nuclear weapons. People forget this: that the Iranian nuclear weapons program did not just spring, uh, you know, out of Zeus's head uh, by magic. Uh, it has been uh, built up piece by piece, laboriously, carefully, with technology from North Korea, from China, and from Russia over the past 25 years. I've been tracking it for the past 30 years as these things have been taking place, and it would not exist the way it is today without russian and t- chinese technological assistance and yet we do nothing at all weakness and that's what we're seeing in a divided nato responding to russia in ukraine but also responding to iran weakness is always an invitation to adventurism
1: well we move on from the russia ukraine crisis and the uh, the problems that that entails As a final question, Ken, I just wanted to get your opinion. I was able to watch the opening ceremonies of the Beijing Olympics. And Ken, as I was watching the opening ceremonies, this seemed to be a coronation for the Communist Party Chairman Xi of China. And uh, I would just like to get your thoughts about that and what this means for China's position on the world stage and, and the threat that that could possibly entail.
3: Rick.
2: My friend, shame on you for watching the Olympics. You should be boycotting the Olympics because it is precisely <laughs> that. This is the coronation of the Communist Party chairman, Xi Jinping. And uh, he is up for a third term, a third five-year term, uh, probably about to become the chairman for life. Justice Mao Tung was chairman for life. Uh, the guy is a bloody brutal dictator who has a very clear worldview of Chinese domination. When he sees obstacles in his way, he simply sweeps them aside and we in the West do nothing about it. Uh, The Biden administration says, okay, we're not gonna send a political delegation for the opening ceremony or even to attend the games. Well, that's just great. Our athletes are there and they are being subjected to extraordinary humiliation met at the airport by people in these white uh, jumpsuits out of a a space fantasy, pretending that we're all carrying some amazing new virus into China, when, of course, the (laughs) virus that has swept the world came from China. So our, our athletes are being subjected to public humiliations, and we turn on the Olympics to watch it? No, seriously, I urge you, and I urge everybody listening here, do not watch these Olympic games. There is a great comparison historically here to the 1936 Olympics in Munich that coronated that with the coronation of Adolf Hitler. Let us not coronate the Chinese Communist Party, Xi, in the same way. Let us not legitimize him as a world leader. Let us continue to remember who he is, a brutal, bloody dictator who has zero respect for even the rights of his own people, let alone those of countries next door who have something he wants.
1: Well, Ken, I appreciate your admonition. In fact, I was watching it basically as a news gathering doing due diligence to keep up with what was going on, and my wife walked in, and she goes, I thought we were boycotting these Olympics. So she's of the same mind as you are, Ken. Well, now,
2: I get your rationale for doing it, Rick. (laughs) I do get your rationale, but... Honestly, I urge everybody listening, do not watch these Olympics. NBC paid over a billion dollars for the right to broadcast them. Let's hit them in their pocketbook by not
1: watching it. Good advice. Well, thank you so much, Ken, for coming on and giving us your take on what's going on in the world. It's so great, and we appreciate you doing that every week, and we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks so much, Rick. It's always a pleasure. God bless. Ken Timmerman.
0: Well we're going to have to take a break and when we come back we have a Middle East news update with David Dolan right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. <laughs>
4: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. According to the World Food Program, people in Yemen are more vulnerable than ever as the new year begins. The WFP cut food rations for 8 million Yemenis due to funding shortfalls. At the same time, hostilities peaked in January, resulting in hundreds of civilian casualties. Through seven years of war, believers have experienced God's provision, though. His faithfulness continues to build the trust of these frontline believers today. Pray for endurance and strength. Meanwhile, tensions and troops remain along the Russia-Ukraine border. Both the United States and Russia increased troop numbers this week, despite diplomatic efforts to avoid conflict. Tumultuous times like these can be stressful for families, especially if they live near the border. Keys for Kids devotionals point children and their parents to the Prince of Peace. Pray for believers on both sides of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Ask God to strengthen them with his love. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries, I'm Ruth Kramer.
5: Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically
1: Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio. This is the segment of the program where we do our Middle East news update. And as usual, we are joined by our good friend Dave Dolan. Dave, thanks for joining us today. I'm always
6: happy to be on, Rick.
1: Well, Dave, lots of things happening in the Middle East. Many things that we'd love to get your comment on, your opinion on. And the very first one that we'd like to talk about is the Israeli president, President Herzog, visiting the United Arab Emirates, course, this is a result of the Abraham Accords. And it's the first time the president of Israel has been to the United Arab Emirates.
6: Well, yes, Rick, he went there last Sunday. And uh, as you say, the first uh, time a president of Israel has been, the prime minister was there a few months ago, but uh, historic. And on the way, he flew over Saudi airspace, which was a first, but he spoke with the crown prince who's actually the ruling leader his father's quite old mohammed bin zaid and talked about their common interest in seeing iran's nuclear program curbed he talked about how important the uae is to israel as business is growing between the two countries and tourism is growing and the crown prince made similar statements back and reaffirmed the country's commitment to its peace accord with israel but while he was there rick we had another drone attack the third one in just two weeks upon the UAE. And that was from, again, the Houthi rebel, the Iranian-backed Shiite Houthis in Yemen. And that's about a thousand mile range. And in response, the UAE sent some American-made aircraft down there and bombed the positions where they believed the drones were coming from. And uh, then there was another drone up ap- Attack upon the UAE during the week, the fourth in two and a half weeks. That one, they say, came from the north, from pro Iranian uh, forces in Iraq. So uh, the attacks against the UAE are stepping up. Their alliance is very important. And then Benny Gantz, the defense minister, he went to Bahrain on Thursday and met with their crown prince. And together they went out to one of the ships in the Fifth Fleet. The U.S. Fifth Fleet is based there. Of course, its duties are. They're mainly in the Persian Gulf and the Arabian Sea or the Red Sea. And that was an important uh, thing. He also flew over Saudi Arabia, so that was historic. And uh, at the same time, the Defense Ministry announced that Israel will take part in naval exercises led by the Fifth Fleet, by the U.S., in the Red Sea. And that's going to include some 60 navies around the world are sending forces, Britain, France, Germany, many uh, in the Middle East, also uh, Cyprus and And Greece and other countries will be involved. And it's the first time
1: Israel's participated in those. So very important developments indeed. Well, we move from the UAE and start to talk about Israel's preparations to deal with the Iranian threat. And there was some news this week that high-ranking U.S. officials have been observing simulated Israeli attacks on Iran.
6: That's right, Rick. And uh, it's, of course, part of a series of military drills that we've been having over the past uh, few months. Uh, We talked about this before, several going on along the border with Syria uh, and then others in the south of Israel involving the British Air Force and uh, seven other air forces. But this was a separate uh, practice drill about two weeks ago, but it was kept secret at the time. Just Israeli aircraft were involved. But as you say, a senior U.S. military official was there to observe it for the first time uh, ever in a private sort of drill. And uh, that was what they were practicing, dive bombing, uh, refueling, uh, all of the sorts of things that they would need to do if they do feel that they have to attack Iran's nuclear program. And uh, Rick, it's not just a question of Israel initiating such an attack. Many Israelis believe that the chances of Iran attacking Israel first are growing, and that would be particularly the case they think, if Russia does indeed attack Ukraine. And we get a new war in Europe that Iran, which, of course, is very closely allied with Vladimir Putin. Putin invited the new Iranian president, Raisi, to come up a couple of weeks ago, as we talked about, and they may have been discussing such actions. So the Israelis are watching that. But on Ukraine, We had a controversial comment made by the foreign minister, uh, Yair Lapid, this week, uh, saying that he didn't think Russia would invade Ukraine. And that was rebuked by the Ukrainian foreign ministry and the ambassador in Israel. And they have good ties, Israel and Ukraine. And by the way, the fifth largest uh, Jewish community on earth is in uh, Ukraine, about 140,000 Jews. But the second largest community after the United States, of course, Israel has the largest, but after the U.S. is in Russia. So Israel has, you know, important ties to both mm-hmm. countries, and the last thing they want to see is a war there. But uh, Lapid said it isn't going to happen. The Ukrainian ambassador said, hey, take a look. It's been going on since 2014. Uh, he said this is a very real, likely prospect, and, you know, we we need your your aid, as it were, more than we need your speculations about this. And Lapide, of course, is a former TV presenter and not known for his
1: expertise in foreign affairs, really. So uh, he was just speaking maybe off the top of his head. While these negotiations are taking place with Iran and the United States, how do these preparations for war, either an attack from Israel to Iran, or as you just said, an attack from Iran on Israel, how do those factor into those negotiations?
6: Well, they, of course, play a prominent role, but the Israelis have different opinions, Israeli leaders, I should say, as to whether or not there will be a conflict with Iran and whether or not there'll be conflict in europe the uh, finance minister lieberman who's from russia originally he said he thought there will be war that uh, iran could well take advantage of the fighting if it breaks out in europe to attack israel because obviously the u.s and other israeli allies will be preoccupied with with the war up there especially if putin goes on to attack any nato countries and there's a lot of feeling that he will at least attack the three Baltic states that are now NATO members, and that would set off a much fuller war, and maybe give Iran that chance to uh, attack Israel without worrying so much about the U.S. and other uh, allies of Israel coming to help Israel in such a war. So it's very complicated. Of course we have China and its conflict with uh, Taiwan potentially and uh, India. They've attacked northeast India in the last year. Uh, We have all sorts of simmering conflicts and uh, what Lieberman said in a Jerusalem Post interview um, that was published on Friday is that we could be seeing a world explosion here and he said the whole scene is sliding towards that. Well he's in the same government with Lapid but they have sort of different views on this many said lapide was just uh, trying to talk things in a positive way uh you know to try to help prevent conflict but um it's looking looking grim and of course iran continues with its massive centrifuge expansion program and is definitely very close to having nuclear grade material nuclear weapons grade material uh, at any time and uh you know, all these things factoring together make it look like we're going to have conflict. And of course, that's why Israel's conducting these intensified drills in the recent months uh, as uh, the budget for a potential attack against Iran has been uh, increased substantially in the new Israeli budget or an attack upon Israel, which would produce essentially the same result a uh, full war between the two countries.
1: Well, David, we look at this situation and you report on many of these maneuverings behind the scenes and then many of these different uh, Middle Eastern countries and what's taking place in them. If you were to look at the Middle East right now in Israel and Iran and the situations, and in Iran's other neighbors as well, what level are they at? I mean, how close do you think we are? Would you be surprised next week, for example, if, if the Middle East was at war?
6: I would not know, Rick. Uh, we have such aggression going on already from Iran. I mean, three drone strikes within two weeks upon an Arab country, the UAE. And, of course, they often attack Saudi Arabia, which is leading a coalition against the Houthis in Yemen. So there's a war going on there. We have action at sea quite often. We have action in Syria. Uh, we have action in Iraq. So it's it's a low-level war already. What it would take to spring that into a full-on war seems to me it wouldn't take very much at all. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll just have to see. And we still have Iran vowing to take further action after the death of the Revolutionary Guards Head at the hands of the United States uh, uh, just after Christmas a little over a year ago. So, It's very, very tense. And again, if war does break out in Europe, as many think it will, that would vastly increase the chances of conflict also in the Middle East and possibly elsewhere. So that's just the reality. But as we've said so many times, God is on the throne, and the Lord himself told us in the last days there'd be wars and rumors of wars. And right now we have rumors of wars, but we have a lot of evidence on the ground that these wars are coming.
1: And I think, probably this year. Well, excellent insight, David. Lord willing, uh, you'll be back next week to talk with us again. So thank you so much for all that you do. You're welcome, Rick. Glad to do it. We're going to take a break right now on Prophecy Today, but when we come back, we're going to talk with our broadcast partner, Winky Madad. Stay tuned right here on Prophecy Today Radio.
5: Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And I just want to tell you, that first half hour with Ken and Dave Dolan, you're hearing things that you don't normally hear, in today's media, in the headlines, you're hearing a different perspective of it. And in the next half hour with Winky Madad, uh, R.C. Merle, and Dr. Heath Marion, you're going to hear a, a really a thought process about a one-world systematic way of thinking. And I believe it really is setting up. For an anti God, anti Christ, and really anti Israel. And we bring Winky Madad to talk about the latest report from Amnesty International. Rick, let's talk to Winky Madad.
1: Winky Madad is with us today. He joins us regularly. He's a research fellow, former research fellow at the Menachem Begin Heritage Center and is living in Israel, also former mayor of Shiloh. So he's uniquely qualified to comment on some of these news stories that we'd really like to get his insight on. So, Winky, thank you for joining us today.
7: Thank you for having me on again.
1: Well, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, and there's a report that came out this week, and this report was from Amnesty International, and there's a lot to unpack when we talk about this report. But just on first blush, I'd like to get your initial thoughts about this report and it naming Israel an apartheid state.
7: Well, Rick, um, this report has been in the works for years. Anti-Zionist or non-Zionist uh, people who have a either a grudge <laughs> or disguised anti-Semitic feelings, or very simply pro-Palestinian Arab attitudes, have been looking for years uh, to find ways to take Israel down. And um, one of the ways was, of course, way back in 1975, for those of us who can remember that far back, when the United Nations on the initiative of the Soviet bloc nations, countries, called Zionism racism. uh, Just out of the blue because, well, at that time, if you remember in the late sixties, early seventies, racism was the big issue. And that was rolled back about 20 years later because it just simply wasn't true. But if you make up enough stories and keep using the term, that's what happens. And the same thing has happened now. Ever since uh, probably the Durban conference and even earlier, Israel is an apartheid country. Everybody knows how bad apartheid is. We most of us uh, over the age of at least 50 can remember South Africa. And that appellation that that stain, if I can say it, uh, should be applied to Israel, of course. Uh, I'm talking to uh, someone who's been to Israel multiple times, has Mm -hmm. taken Mm -hmm. probably thousands of people by this time. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that there are no two uh, water fountains here in Israel, Mm. uh, that uh, there are no two bathrooms for Arabs and Jews or anything else that reminds you of apartheid. And in fact, Arabs have the right to vote. They even serve not only in the army, but also in all government offices and even on the Supreme Court. And they sit in the Knesset. Uh, So my last point on this opening answer is if you redefine apartheid, then you can call anything apartheid. And that's what they did. That's what this report does. And it also points to Israel since 1948. So in other words, it's not about the Six Days War, the so-called occupation, the so-called settlements, you know, whatever, the, the, the propaganda story. For them, Israel, since '48 is an apartheid state, and we all know what to do with apartheid states. We do away with them. We change them. We, we, we put them uh, in some sort of economic and, and cultural and political boycott. That's what we do. Well, and you think of apartheid, uh, Israel,
1: and you've kind of alluded to this, Israel has uh, Arab citizens. There is a party that is uh, mainly the Arab party that is actually in the ruling coalition right now. Um, But if you were to look at Jewish representation in the surrounding states and the heavily Islamic states surrounding Israel, It's minimal, none at all. In some places, I I think I recall a story of the last Jew leaving Afghanistan. So the idea that Israel is an apartheid state, it's not really borne out in the numbers, is it? Uh,
7: Not at all, not in reality. And they don't do anything similar to anything else going on in the world that is actually apartheid. Uh, We have a Jewish joke about the um, rabbi who was approached by someone in the middle of the marketplace that's saying that your sister is a thief and runs away. And everybody looks at the rabbi and they're aghast and and, and they even look away. It's so embarrassing. And the poor rabbi begins to run after the man. It takes him about 10 minutes to catch up with him. (laughs) And he says, but, but I don't even have a sister. (laughs) And so the man says to him, yeah, now go back and tell all those people that you don't have a sister. Mm. Mm -hmm. And this is what, you know, Israel is an apartheid state, and a lot of people between you and me, not that they're not that smart, everybody's smart in one way or another, but they're not read up on all the issues, and they don't read or or listen carefully to the news, or even on their own initiative, open up a book or a history book, or go on Google, and uh, oh, uh, Amnesty International we know is a nice organization, they say Israel is apartheid, it must be apartheid. As you and I just discussed now, it's completely off the wall, to use that term about Israel, but the damage has been done. Well, to his credit, the U.S. ambassador to
1: Israel, Tom Nides, on Tuesday denounced this Amnesty International report, and he said, quote, Come on, this is absurd. This is not language that we have used and will not use. And that was a tweet that he had sent out. So, uh, again, to his credit, they are recognizing that, but other nations of the world, uh, specifically from Europe. And of course, we probably know already how the uh, the Arab world feels, but how are other nations of the world using this report?
7: Well, Rick, between you and me, it doesn't bother me about nations, although probably in a couple of months, we'll see a, a, a fight in the United Nations about this. But what bothers me is what's going down on college campuses and universities mm. where minds are being molded in the wrong way by progressive and radical left-wing professors it's you probably know a lot better than I do sitting here in Israel what's going on on the woke campuses uh, on many other issues besides Israel but this is just one of them and uh, it's unfortunate that this is the My personal opinion, it's poisoning the mind of people, and it really is immoral. It should be irreligious even, if I can use that term, action by people who who have no boundaries in in their morals or their ethics.
1: Well, that somewhat leads me to my next question and the way people are Being educated, the way people are thinking about things. There was another story that has caught quite a bit of attention here in the United States and around the world through Twitter and and other means. A talk show host uh, on the television show The View, Whoopi Goldberg is her name, and I'm sure you, most of our listeners, have heard of her. She had a very interesting and some would say extreme take on the Holocaust And why the Holocaust took place. I know I've seen your tweets on this story a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about this story and why it's so dangerous the way this misinformation is floating around?
7: Well, I do not doubt or have no doubts that Whoopi is uh, in any sense anti-Semitic or hates Jews. After all, she her, she, her adopted last name is Goldberg. <laughs> I mean, of all the names that you could use in America today, between you and me, I don't think that really would pass muster uh, to get ahead, but, uh, she chose it. And, you know, I'm not going to say it's cultural, uh, approbation, but okay, that's what she did. But what she said reflects to me on the current situation, in the United States where race is is everything. I mean, everything is defined by race. Mm -hmm. And race, of course, is whites on the one side and everybody else on the other side. Uh, And so her understanding of the Holocaust was it's not about race because race means blacks or brown or some other color. And as we know in the Holocaust, it was the Nazis against the Jews and they were both white. So it wasn't about race. Yeah, but... Hitler, who wrote Mein Kampf in 1923, has—if you look through the book, if you—if you can stomach it, right—he hmm. talk all that he talks about is the Aryan race against the Slavic race and the Jewish race. It's all about race. You can be racist by not liking Jews, even though they're the same color of the skin as you are. And this was astounding from a person who's been in Hollywood, who's on television who's, 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 who's no youngster. She's been around. And, and, and to think that what she basically said was, Hey, it's not a matter of race between the Nazis and the Jews. What does that bother me? Hmm. Well, it does bother me as a Jew, because unfortunately I see too many blacks, uh, attacking Jews in New York and other places. Uh, and which means that maybe we have a racial problem with blacks not liking certain white people. And that's another story altogether. So that's that's my take on the Whoopi Goldberg issue.
1: Well, Winky, as always, you cut right to the heart of things and you have some very interesting insight. It's just still amazing to me after all these years and the way the Holocaust has is- used, sometimes forgot, or used in an inappropriate manner. But anyways, we thank you so much for your insight and for coming on, for educating our listeners,
7: and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Well, Rick, thank you very much for having me on and giving me the chance and the opportunity to talk to people and allow them to use their minds Mm -hmm. that God gave them Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the learning they have in order to be a better person.
0: Well, clearly, Winky Madad gives us the information pertaining to a systematic thought process, and that's where we're getting to in our program today, and this has really kind of been the focus of what we're doing. Uh, continuing that thought, R.C. Murrell, uh, who has a website, prophecytracker.org, I would encourage you to go there. Welcome to the program today, R.C. Hey, thank you,
3: Jimmy. Good to be with you.
0: R.C., recently in a Twitter post, Klaus Schwab was talking about the European Chips Act and the need for a physical brain for digitization to be located in Europe. What can you tell us about what Klaus is up to?
3: Jimmy, there's so much potential prophecy in every line of that report that it's hard to know where to begin. But let's start with the European Chips Act, which is being proposed early this month. It aims to increase microchip production across the European continent, thereby claiming a greater urgency for the EU to digitize in response to rising demand. The European Union's need for microchips is estimated to double in the next decade. So Europe wants to reduce dependency on suppliers from outside the continent. The legislation will require the most advanced chips to be made on European soil. So the goal is to unify Europe into a greater central power by using the Club of Rome as a catalyst. Klaus Schwab, who is the founder of the World Economic Forum, is talking about having a greater geographical location. Europe as the central hub for the control of the emerging enterprise, or what Daniel might have called the fourth beast of the revived Roman Empire.
0: Wow. Now, just for our folks, real quick, Klaus Schwab, is this the same that's with the World Economic Forum?
3: He is. And the Club of Rome, which is all intertwined with this, with this enterprise, was originally founded in 1968 as a new compass for the European nations. The club is made up of 100 members from current and former heads of state, government, and administrators, high-level politicians, diplomats, scientists, and business leaders from around the globe. It's an influential think tank which has been warning that economic growth leads to environmental problems. And their first controversial report was called the Limits to Growth.
0: When you look at this, folks, and let me just remind you again, remember the Great Reset. All of that information is coming out of the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. R.C., why is the Club of Rome so important? Yeah, Jimmy,
3: the the World Economic Forum gives the Club of Rome a platform to present their economic warnings. (laughs) On January 15, 2020, the club issued a report on climate change calling it a planetary emergency, highlighting three points. The Earth has coped relatively well with emissions so far. Number two, tipping points are being reached. And number three is this statement. While politics continue to cripple efforts to fight planetary emergency, the science remains unequivocal and irrefutable as ever. We have already crossed a number of tipping points in the Earth's system, vital thresholds beyond which irreversible, catastrophic consequences for all life on this planet will ensue, end of quote. You know, we need to keep in mind that Rome is also the seat of the Vatican, the world's largest Christian denomination, with a globalist pontiff who is all in on climate change. Prophetically, Rome is likely the future residence of a powerful religious leader called the false prophet found in Revelation 13:11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. That this is all happening in Europe points to a possible future fulfillment of Daniel 9.26. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary. Jimmy, we know from Bible scholars like your dad in his book, Daniel, Prophet to the Gentiles, that the prince who is to come is Antichrist, and the people who destroyed the city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, Second Temple, clearly points to Rome.
0: So let me just ask you, you think climate change is being used as a part of this one world system to get people to think and accept the policies of maybe a one world wide system coming into place?
3: Yeah, I think climate change is being used as a plank in this whole platform Mm. uh, of authoritarian government.
0: So R.C., I know that you did some research on how the current European Union began with a series of five treaties. Can you list them for us?
3: Uh, Ironically, and I'm not making this up, Jimmy, the first treaty that started the European Union was the Treaty of Rome Mm. in 1957, where six countries, Belgium, Germany, France, Italy, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands, agreed to work together towards integration and economic growth through trade. The Treaty of Rome was followed by the Treaty of Brussels in 1967, which was the founding treaty of the Western Union that merged into NATO. The Treaty of Maastricht 1993 followed, and from that moment on, it became possible to speak of a genuine European Union. Next up was the Treaty of Amsterdam in 1999 that sought to reform the EU institutions into preparation for the arrival of new countries. And finally, the Treaty of Lisbon in 2007 introduced the figure of the president of the European Council and the high representative of the Union for Foreign Affairs and Security. Now, interestingly, in 1999 to 2003, 19 European countries accepted the euro as a single currency, a precursor to the final Roman Empire that will require a mark by itself.
0: Mm. You know, we've always said that the European Union is the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire in the future. R.C., where does uh, all of this leave us?
3: Jimmy, the fact that Klaus Schwab and the billionaire club at the World Economic Forum have selected Europe as the center of digitization is a chilling reminder that our Bible has accurately foretold the place where the final mm-hmm. empire of Antichrist will begin.
6: Mm.
3: When he arrives on the world stage, a digitized Europe will be ready to receive him. So for now, we watch as the U.S. and EU begin to digitize their currencies. We watch as Russia and China begin to reject the U.S. dollar as world-reserved currency And we watch for the rise of Europe as the world's most powerful empire.
0: (laughs) You know, R.C., each week that we have you on, you're giving us information from a financial point of view, and we understand from God's word, and it mentions a financial system in the future, and everything is leading up to that point of view. R.C., thank you so much for being with us today, and thank you for giving us this information about a future world economic system that's coming into place even today.
3: I appreciate you having me on the program, Jimmy. Blessings to you, Rick, and our audience.
0: Thank you. And again, that website, rc...
3: Yeah, prophecytracker.org.
0: Prophecytracker.org. Make sure you go there and follow what R.C. Murrell is doing. Well, R.C. Murrell is is the guy that really does, and I I do encourage you to go to prophecytracker.org. You'll find many articles from a financial mindset, but he's also a prophecy teacher, and he helps us on a um, every uh, once or twice a month, helping us to uh, understand and see what the world is doing according to this world system that's being put into place. Now, following along that line of thought... Um, we have really have come into a period of time where wokeism. I mean, you have Joe Rogan, and I don't, I, I, I'm sure people that follow our our site are uh, understand that there's this big controversy going on with Joe Rogan and Spotify and some of the things that he said. Uh, I don't even want to address that, but there's also what Whoopi Goldberg said, and she has uh, been penalized, or you know. Um, Uh, just punished, uh, really, for her thoughts, and we understand uh, anti-Semitic thought process in the world, but it really is a one-world system of thought that's coming into place that is really anti-God and anti-Christ, which is why, on the issue of wokeism, I wanted to invite back Dr. Heath Marion. Dr. Heath Marion, he graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary, has multiple degrees. He is also uh, he's a former pastor, and he's in the business world consulting pastors today and churches. And so, Heath, welcome to the program.
8: Hey, thank you for having me back. It's always good to be with you.
0: Yes, sir. So, Heath, on this uh, issue of wokeism, What's your thoughts uh, in the church today uh, as to what you're seeing in our churches because I know a lot of churches and people have sent questions into us about their pastor is becoming woke.
8: Well, I think it's a, a huge issue that each church, denominations are trying to figure out. I mean, for goodness sakes, it's even coming into the school systems and our kids are are struggling through these conversations so Christians are being faced with this head on. And so I think it's something that we do need to talk about. And we need to have a, a really vibrant discussion regarding
0: sure well when it comes to being woke what should christians keep in mind
8: well i know that uh, when we start talking about this it's a very sensitive topic and we want to make sure that we interact with it correctly but as a christian here's one thing that we want to say is that we understand and we have we do know that in america Racism has played a part. There has been shame and injustice. And at some points in history, there's even been terrible violence. So there's no clear thinking person really would say that the remnants of racism have been erased since the the Civil War. And I think there's a lot of things that still needs to be done. I now know that uh, even when you start talking to the Southern Baptists and those denominations, they're they're trying to write new um, just statements acknowledging this response and that there should be a conversation regarding this.
0: Sure. And I know that there's laws and legislation uh, that guard the principle of equal rights, but really what should be, uh, as a Christian, what should we understand about really the heart of the matter?
8: The reality is, is, is just passing a law, and I think there should be laws that guard and protect Americans' rights or rights for all people. But a law cannot change the heart. I mean, mm-hmm. for goodness sakes, the, God gave the Ten Commandments, and that hasn't changed our hearts at all. Though. Right. So, uh, I mean, for us, when we start looking at it, Jeremiah 17 talks about that 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 the evil of the human heart, who can know it. And what we really get from Jesus is there's a mandate to, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus went to great lengths to cross racial divides. He went to the woman uh, at the well, the Samaritan woman, and his disciples were even questioning, why would you cross these racial lines? And Jesus makes it clear there's no racial divide that he's not going to cross. First of all, Jesus uh, going to that woman uh, in Samaria, when he said, oh, I must yeah. go yep. through Samaria, that was, to me, that's one of the this, a huge pivotal point when he makes the point to, I'm going over here. And then we get into other statements where Paul says that there's neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile, no free man, no slave. Uh male or female, so he really calls us to attention, saying we are the members of the body of Christ.
0: Wow, very good. When does real racial reconciliation take place, Heath?
8: One, when we first start recognizing who we are in Christ, that we are all members, and uh, every member has its own place, and we're all supposed to be bringing and shining the light of Christ and of God to this world. And when we love each other, Instead of being known by our hate, the world will see a difference, right? That's what it says, mm-hmm. that we should be known by our love. And that really is the call, is that the God of this world is going to blind us. And when we're blinded, we are going to hate. First John talks about how that it's the God of this world darkens our eyes. So for us, we need to wake up to this call, wake up to the light of the gospel, mm. and how that God is calling us to love others. And when we love others— Real change begins to happen. We begin to cross those boundaries. You know Peter even struggled on baptizing a Roman soldier, right right yeah. <laughs> He had to have a dream he had to have a dream to recognize, oh, I need to cross this boundary so the we all might have some kind of prejudice in us, and yet as we grow in our love for God, then it causes us to grow in our love for people, and we will cross those uh, those divides
0: well. You know, in our world today, we're thinking about uh, this one world system that's coming into place that is prophesied, that will take place. It's a system of the Antichrist, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, the satanic trinity. Do you see the church really starting to—I To, to I mean, how, how as Christians, understanding the future, how then should we really go forth as individual believers—
8: well, one, let's not live in fear. Yeah. Let's not let's not be afraid to talk about God, um, when everybody else is wanting to talk about all kinds of spirituality and they're wanting to bring in new ideology. As Christians, we should be able to talk and interact and love people and be willing to stand kindly, gently, mm. but to say that all people need. God all people need love and we should not be hating each other and i think that's a huge mark for us when we start doing that
0: you know both paul and peter you've brought them up in in this conversation they gave instructions to the early church how to live in the days that they were living in these days in the last days <laughs> and peter said in, in first peter he said be ready to give an account you know first of all sanctify yourself unto god Be ready to give an account for what you believe. Uh, Really apologetics. And that is so important and that we do it in love, which is what you just said. And that really is the key, right?
8: Right. I I mean, I'm not going to go out and try to change people. What I need to go out and do is love people. And as I'm loving, they're seeing my responses. They're seeing my actions. They're seeing how that I help others. And when I do that, then they're going to have these questions. Why are you helping them like that? And I can say, because Christ loved me. God changed my life. And I want to give back. And I'm telling you, millennials can get on board with that. And it, even people our age or older, they can get on board with that when we start really, truly helping people because we've been dramatically changed in our
0: lives. That's right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Heath. Dr. Heath Marion, thank you for joining with us today and, again, helping us to understand why the world is acting as it is and how the church should act in these last days in which we're living. Thanks for joining us, Heath.
8: Thank you so much. With much love and respect. Have a great day.
0: Yes. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, uh, his legacy series, and he's talking about the temple, what needs to be done for the rebuilding of the temple in the city of Jerusalem and how that fits into Bible prophecy, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D. Young Jr. And uh, along with my brother Rick, we do examine current events in the world as they're happening. And we're glad to have you on the program today. Rick, uh, we come to our Legacy Series. And in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about Ezekiel. Um, I was thinking about one of the things that we did. We went many years on site, on location, and we shot DVDs, or we shot videos and uh, produced them. And one of our best produced video, one that people can get, is Ready to Rebuild Revisited.
1: That's true, Jimmy. You and I had the honor or the pleasure to be involved in both of the Ready to Rebuild projects, the one that was done initially back in the 90s, and then the update of that, the Ready to Rebuild Revisited. And there's so much going on for anybody who's been to Israel with us. You've gone, and we have what we call the Third Temple Seminar. We talk about all the preparations that are taking place to rebuild the temple. And of course, we talk about the prophetic significance of that as well. So it's an exciting video. It's a good video. It updated it. We took the best from the original video and then updated it with what's taking place now. And by the way, Jimmy, just so our people know, if you go to our website at prophecytoday.com, we do have a bookstore. On that bookstore, you can take a look at our selection of DVDs, books, and audio teaching series. We'd love for you to go there. And if you go there, uh, bookmark it and come back and take a look because we are planning in the near future to have some sales. This is just a way for us to get the word out, to get the teaching out. And this is a way you can also support our ministry. So uh, we appreciate in advance you going and taking a look at it. Well, today is the legacy
0: series and we're going to be studying about Messiah's temple with complete details of that temple that Jesus Christ will build and rule and reign from in the 1000 year kingdom to come. This detailed information is found in 202 verses in Ezekiel chapter 40 to 46. Ezekiel, a priest as well as a prophet, was a man familiar with the temple. However, before we look at the Messiah's temple, We're going to take a moment to rehearse the way that the future will be laid out in the message that we hear from Dr. Jimmy DeYoung today in the Legacy Series.
9: Ezekiel is divided into two parts. The first part is the first 32 chapters. It's a message of retribution. Ezekiel lays out for us the message that God gave to uh, him to give to his people and the neighbors, the enemies of the Jewish people. Chapters 1 to 24 is a message of retribution to the Jews. And then chapters 25 to 32 is a message of uh, retribution to the neighbors of the Jewish people. Chapter 33 then begins another series of messages. This would be the messages of restoration. He's going to restore the kingdom people, the Jewish people, and he's going to restore their practices, the kingdom practices. Chapter 37 is the deal that helps us to get underway. It's the first prophecy that is of major importance. By the way, look back at chapter 33, just a second. Chapter 33, I want to show you what happened. Verse 22. Now, when the hand of the Lord was upon me in the evening before he that was escaped from Jerusalem, it's talking about, had opened my mouth until he in the morning, and my mouth was open, and I was no more dumb. God loosens his tongue and gives him a message of restoration. Chapter 37, is the valley of dry bones. Look at verse 7. So I prophesied as he commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking and his bones came together, bone to bone. Verse 8, And when I had behold, low sinew and flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them from above, but there was no breath in them. Verse 9, Then he said, Preach unto the wind. Verse 10, So I prophesied at the commandment, and uh, brought, uh, breath came in unto them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Now that's apocalyptic literature. What in the world is it talking about? Bones coming together, flesh coming on the bones, breath of life being breathed into them. It's a three-part prophecy. The bones coming together are the regathering. The flesh coming on the bones are the restoration and the breath being breathed into them is regeneration. Regeneration, regathering, restoration of whom? Well, how did I tell you to interpret apocalyptic literature? Keep reading. Look at verse 11. I went to verse 10. Look at verse 11. Then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. He's talking about the Jews who had been scattered to the four corners of the earth. I'm going to find them and bring them into the land. Go back to chapter 34. Verse 11, chapter 34. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I even I will will search out my sheep and seek them out. Middle part of verse 12. So I seek out my sheep and will deliver them from all the places where they have been scattered. Verse 13. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from their countries. Verse 14. I will feed them in a good pasture. Verse 15. I will feed my flock and I will cause them to lie down. Verse 16. I will seek that which was lost. Do you hear me repeating the phrase? I will. The Lord is telling the Jewish people. I will. By the way, you know, if God says something to me one time, I believe it and that settles it. If you read from verse 11 all the way to verse 31, you'll see that God says it 18 times. I will find my people where they have been scattered. I will gather them in. I will bring them into their land. I will feed them like a good shepherd feeds his flock. Go to chapter 36. He talks about the land in chapter 36. Notice what he says in verse 8. Uh, verse 6. Prophesy therefore concerning the land. Verse 8. But ye, O mountains of Israel, ye shall shoot forth your branches. Verse 11. I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. And I will settle you after your old estates, how it was with your forefathers. And I will do better unto you than at your beginnings, and you shall know that I am the Lord. He's going to bring him into the land. Why is he going to bring him into the land? Chapter 36, verse 22. Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, for but my holy name's sake. Where God could swear by nothing greater. He swore, I will bring the people back. And I do it for my holy name's sake. Let me just give you something. Chapter 35. Notice what chapter 35 says. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Mount Seir, and prophesy against it, and say unto it, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am, O Mount Seir, I am against thee, and I will stretch out my hand against thee, and I will make thee most desolate. Who is Mount Seir? Chapter 36 of the book of Genesis. God tells Esau, No longer can you live here. Chapter 37, verse 1. Jacob and his family is going to live here. Chapter 36, verse 7. The riches of both of you boys is too much for this land. You're going to Mount Seir. Where's Mount Seir? Lower third of modern day Jordan. Who went there? Esau and the Edomites changed his name to Edom. Now that piece of real estate in biblical times is called Edom. It's called modern day Jordan. They went to a place called Petra. And there they headquartered. Now he says, I'm going to de- I'm going to destroy you, Mount Seir. Remember what God told Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau, two nations are in thy womb. Jacob is Israel, Esau the Palestinian people of today. He said, I'm going to wipe you out. Why is he going to wipe him out? Look here in verse 5. Because thou hast a perpetual hatred Esau said in chapter 27 of Genesis, When my father dies, I will kill Jacob. Perpetual hatred and has shed the blood of the children of Israel. Verse 10. Because thou hast said, These two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will so possess it. This is so up to date. It's like reading the front page of the newspaper. Chapter 38. It talks about the alignment of the nations coming together. And these nations will come to destroy the nation of Israel. When will they come? Look at verse 8. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come up to the land that brought back out of the sword. Look at the last part of it. Where they are dwelling safely, all of them. Verse 11. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. And I will go up to them that are at rest, that dwell safely. When are the Jewish people going to ever dwell safely in the land? After the rapture of the church, the Antichrist appears. What does he do? Chapter 9, verse 27 of Daniel confirms a peace treaty. They think he's the Messiah. So they lay down their weapons. That's what verse 11 says. So he says they'll be living in unwalled villages. And they will come under attack by a coalition of nations. Look at chapters 40 to 46. It is the most detailed description of the Messiah's temple that has ever been written. Ezekiel, the prophet, who is also the priest, is going to put a temple up. There's several things in this temple. And it's different from every tabernacle or every temple in the past. There's been two temples, one tabernacle. This passage describes something completely different than all of those temples in the tabernacle because this temple has no wall of petition. Well, you know what the wall of petition was? Keep the Gentiles from coming into the temple area. No wall of petition. Why? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 and following. Two people at enmity with each other, Jew and Gentile, wall of petition between them. I took it out with my death, burial, and resurrection, made two people one. No wall of petition. Look here, we're, we're in the holy place. There's no table of showbread, the 12 loaves of bread. It's not there. Why? John 6, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Oh, look, there's no menorah, the 7 branch candelabra. It's not there. Why? He said in John 8, 9, and 11, I am the light of the world. You see, every implement in the temple represents Jesus Christ. Our focus is a prophecy on him. There's no veil of the temple. Why? When he was crucified, it was ripped from top to bottom, giving us access. Look here in the Holy of Holies. There's no Ark of the Covenant. Why? The Ark of the Covenant was the model of him to come. And when you have the real thing, you no longer need the model. When he comes back, he walks into the Holy of Holies. He sits down as our mercy seat right there. That's the Messiah's temple. It's going to be built. Zechariah 6.12 says Jesus builds it. 6.13 says he rules and reigns from it. But wait a minute. Do you remember Daniel 9.27? Here's what it says. And he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant, that's the treaty, with many, the Jewish people and their neighbors, for one week. That's the seven-year period of time. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice to cease. You don't have sacrifice in Jerusalem without a temple. But, Jimmy, there is no temple. Well, let me give you another passage. Matthew 24, 15, Jesus said, if you see the abomination of desolation, flee. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4 says, the Antichrist walks into the temple at the midway point of the tribulation and he desecrates the abomination of desolation. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. Hey, John measured the place for the temple. But there is no temple. Hey, you don't know what's going on. The other day I walked into yeshiva, a place of learning for Jewish young men. In that yeshiva, the rabbi was on his computer. You know what he told me about that computer? was a database for every male Jew qualified to be a priest. You need 28,000 priests. He has all their names on there. I said, why? He said, we've called them to Jerusalem to study the priestly duties. I said, to do what? He said to build a temple. Man, he had my attention. I said, well, what about the implements? Like the Mizraq, that picture-shaped item made out of pure gold or pure silver. They need 4,000 of them to do the sacrifices. They're all made and in storage. What about their garments? They're already made. They're in a box. There's a piece of a paper on the front with a note. When the dome of the rock comes down, put on this priestly garment and report immediately to the temple mount. Wow. I said, what about the harps, man? King David wanted 4,000 harps. He'd go over to number 10, King David street. That's a wonderful name for a street. Got over there. Shoshana Mika Harari used to live over here in Vermont. He went to Israel. He made the first harp in 2000 years. Rabbi showed up, looked at the harp and he started crying. Jesus, why are you crying? Shoshana said to the rabbi, he said, because the Talmud, extra biblical Jewish writing, says when the ten string harp shows up, it's the time for the coming of the Messiah. They have the Sanhedrin, the 70 wise Jewish scholars. They have elected the high priest. I show on my website him being fitted for his priestly garment. Everything is set. Everything is set for that temple. Not Messiah's temple, that's after he returns, the tribulation temple. That'll come into place. You see it? Jews returning to the land, Palestinians trying to kill Jews, alignment of nations trying to wipe them out, a peace process so that'll take place, and arrangements for a temple, all set, every actor in place, curtain about to go up. On the second coming, this all happens after the rapture. How close could that be? Father, thank you for this awesome time you've given us to study. The information is amazing, articulate, it's accurate, it's authoritative. That helps us to understand the times in which we're living. This is a key to unlocking God's plan for the future. These events will all play out in God's time. And as we look and see, we can recognize where we are in that time. Help us then to live in light of that knowledge. In
0: thy precious name, amen. Dr. Jimmy D. Young in his Legacy Series. One of the purposes for a study of Bible prophecy is so that we might understand the times in which we are living and live with the anticipation that Jesus Christ could shout, the archangel could shout, and the trump of God would sound to call us to heaven at the rapture of the church. Our focus on the next temple to be built in Jerusalem, not the Messiah's temple of Ezekiel 40 to 46, but the next temple in Jerusalem, which will be the tribulation temple, and it's ready to be built right now. The only thing that needs to happen before that temple is to be built in Jerusalem is for the rapture of the church, which could actually happen today. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, Rick and I will take a look at the book as we take a look at the events that we have talked about on today's program. Right here on Prophecy Today weekend.
4: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. According to the World Food Program, people in Yemen are more vulnerable than ever as the new year begins. The WFP cut food rations for 8 million Yemenis due to funding shortfalls. At the same time, hostilities peaked in January, resulting in hundreds of civilian casualties. Through seven years of war, believers have experienced God's provision, though. His faithfulness continues to build the trust of these frontline believers today. Pray for endurance and strength. Meanwhile, tensions in troops remain along the Russia-Ukraine border. Both the United States and Russia increased troop numbers this week, despite diplomatic efforts to avoid conflict. Tumultuous times like these can be stressful for families, especially if they live near the border. Keys for Kids devotionals point children and their parents to the Prince of Peace. Pray for believers on both sides of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Ask God to strengthen them with his love. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries, I'm Ruth Kramer.
5: Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy Young Jr. and along with my brother Rick, it's that time of the program where we take a look at the events that we talked about on our program today and really how they fit in. To Bible prophecy, what's recorded in God's Word. And uh, it's really easy to do to understand why the world is acting as it is. And that's one of the things that uh, we try to do on this program. Rick, I do see in our program today, before we start talking about the events, I do see a systematic world thought process that's coming into place that is really anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Israel, anti-family. I mean, we see that all over the world, don't we?
1: Yeah, we sure do. And it's growing. It's something um, all of us deal with every day. Our kids in school, uh, we see it around us. We see it in media. We see it on social media and on the television. It just seems uh, more pervasive now than it has ever been.
0: It sure does. And that's one of the things while we have God's word, we should stay in the word. We provide devotions. I know there are a lot of ways to get devotions. We provide ways to study and books and DVDs and information to help you to live. In this world, understand why this world is doing what it's doing, and to finish that race, to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling, and to be ready to give an account for everything that we
1: do in this world. Well, let's take a look at some of the events that we'd like to talk about, Rick. Jimmy, we'll start this week. And as usual, we start with Ken and we look at the geopolitical situation. And we have talked over the last few weeks about the situation in Russia and what's going on in Ukraine. And we know that they're going to play a role in the end times. But what we talked about with Ken today is how that is changing the alignment in the European Union. It's affecting the way that politically they are going to interact in that area. And we know that Europe has a key role to play in God's end time scenario.
0: We sure do. And when you, we look at Scripture, we would go to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7 where it talks about a future empire, that revived Roman Empire that will come back to being, uh, that's laid out in those scriptures. And we see it in Revelation chapter 13, the system of the Antichrist, the beast that comes on the world scene, uh, really, instituting a one world economic situation, and really, when we look at it daniel nine twenty seven the beginning of the seven year period of tribulation the Daniel chapter nine is talking about the seventy weeks of Daniel, that seventieth week of Daniel will unfold when the Antichrist confirms a peace treaty, a covenant with israel, and that 's Daniel chapter nine verse twenty seven The alignment as Rick talked about of these 10 separate states or districts that are going to come to be the antichrist will come into to being he will be that world leader we talked about the divisiveness of the european union really they're looking for a super leader to come into place and we really see that as the antichrist he's going to confirm a treaty the second thing a treaty that would be that covenant with israel uh, where he's going to protect israel and of course As we've talked about on today's program and uh, in the Legacy series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, he talked about the Tribulation Temple in the future. So these are the things, Rick, that we keep our eyes on all the
1: time. It was so sobering to me, Jimmy. We know that all these things in the end times and after the rapture of the Church and during the Tribulation, all these things are going to be happening quickly and it certainly seems that things are happening quickly right now. We talked to Dave, and we just said, what's the, what's the atmosphere? What level are we at right now? And he said he would not be surprised if the Middle East is plunged into war next weekend, which would start a domino, or could start a domino effect that could put all these things into motion that we have been studying in Scripture and that the Bible tells us will happen.
0: Yes, uh, that's Ezekiel 38. I mean, these nations that are lining up are the very uh, nations in Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, Psalm 83. Uh, they're (laughs) They're nations. If you read scripture, you understand that as they come together, what could take place? But before that, the rapture of the church will take place. So how close are we to these events, and how close are we to the rapture of the church?
1: We followed that up in the second half hour with Winky Madad, Jimmy, and you talk about anti-God and anti-Israel, and we kind of took a look at this Amnesty International report that called Israel uh, unfairly, uh, very unfairly, uh, an apartheid state, and we look at some of the kind of underlying anti-semitism in the world today and we realize that that's an attack against the bible and against god's chosen people the the children of israel
0: Yes, and uh, Winky helps us do that. When we talk about anti-Israel, that's anti-God. And We've talked about in that the past. I remember Steve Herzig, when he would come and talk to us, he would talk to us. If you want to get rid of the Jewish people, all you have to do is get rid of the sun, the moon, and the stars, and you could do that. But that's not going to happen because God made a promise to protect the Jews, and God's not finished. And he hasn't fulfilled all of the promises that he made to the Jewish people. And by the way, when we were talking to R.C. and he talked about the Club of Rome. I cannot wait until we investigate more
1: on this Club of Rome on future programs. We followed that up, Jimmy, with a brief discussion on wokeness. Now, I know that's a buzzword in the world today, and I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 22 When they ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And we're not talking about hate or we're not talking about espousing hate. But it seems like to me, Jimmy, that uh, maybe this new type of wokeness is almost like its own religion in and of itself, is it not?
0: It sure is. And that's what the Antichrist will come to do in the future. He's going to establish a false religion with a false prophet. There are many false prophets out there today. There are many false religions. And some of this system of thinking, it is very misleading in our world today because Scripture does explain to us how to live. And I like that verse. That's my favorite verse, Rick, that you used. And I I like uh, when it says to do this with everything that's within you, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, these are the things that we are looking at in our world today. And as we are examining current events, it shows us how close that, uh, with the systematic world thought coming into being, uh, being anti-God. We really are living in the last days, and we really do need to be
1: prepared. Absolutely, Jimmy, and I guess that's, uh, that's why we're here. We're here. When all else fails, we, we always say go back to the manual. So we go back to Scripture. We look what God says. We look what God says in the future in Bible prophecy, um, but we look what God and how God encourages us to live today. And seeing all these things, Rick, uh, we are really
0: close to the next event on God's calendar, which would be the rapture of the church. So seeing all these, how should we then live? We need to be living prepared, uh, living pure, productive, and a holy life in an unholy world. And we need to be looking for and listening for the sound of the rapture to take place in the very near future. So let's keep looking up until...